0: Let's look in the Bible in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last Old Testament book, and we're taking a little pause here from our Philippians series till after Bible time. Um, so let's look in Malachi this morning, and if you go to the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, just go to the left, and you'll see Malachi, or you can find Zechariah and go to the right. All right. All right there. So, interesting how the last uh, few verses of the Old Testament uh, end. It's interesting. And uh, today we're going to talk about what turns we are making. What turns are you making? What turns are you making? And that's a key word in this this scripture today, in verse 6, that we'll see uh, Malachi 4. So Malachi, I'll read a few verses and we'll refer to and probably look at some other verses while we're going along today in this message, okay? Malachi chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 5 and 6. Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6. God says, "...Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers." lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, hold your place. Go to Matthew and look in Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And we'll come back to Malachi. In Matthew 11, Jesus is commenting on one of the uh, fulfillments of that verse we read, the the person, the, the spirit Of That prophet was seen in John the Baptist, the spirit of the prophet we just read about. Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus said, "'Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, "'there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, "'notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. "'And from the days of John the Baptist until now, "'the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force.'" For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears, Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Now we'll look at one more passage. Go to the right, there's Mark, and then there's Luke. Go to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, and there was a, the man named John the Baptist, was born to parents who were basically elderly, um, Zachariah, Zacharias and Elizabeth. They had no children, and then lo and behold, in their old age, they give birth to one son, John the Baptist, who I, if I remember right would be the second cousin of Jesus. And uh, he spoke and was the prophet right before Jesus appeared publicly on the scene. And notice the words that are said about John the Baptist, this prophet, and you need to take note of it because we're going to refer back to it. So Luke 1, verse 15, referring to this prophet, John the Baptist. For he, John, shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of, the, of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children." and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so those are the scriptures I just want you to be aware of as we look at this passage back in Malachi, back in Malachi chapter 4. If you go back one more time, we'll refer to these where it says here, He shall turn. Look at what it says in verse 6. He shall turn, turn the heart of the fathers to the children and heart of the children to their fathers. A the key word there is turn. And we'll kind of, our thoughts and discussion is around that. Um, so let's think about something right now for a few moments. Think about driving. Um, how many, you know, I, Johnny got his, my son got his license uh, a few months ago, and I. he's like, Dad, what's a three-point turn? Because he didn't know if he'd have to do that in the driving test, and I can't remember. Did you end up having to do that, John? You did? And so I had to tell him what a three-point turn was, and, you know, it's kind of like a, um, A U-turn with training wheels or something, you know, it just, it takes you a little time there to wiggle back and forth before you do your U-turn. So there's, there's different types of turns. There's a three-point turn, there's a U-turn, there's a slow turn, and there's an abrupt turn, right? There's different types of turns, you know. Some of my kids, when I first taught them to drive, is we're turning, they're going to turn, just make a right turn, and they, and they turn, and then they go Yank it back, and you go, whoa, just let the let the steering wheel glide through your fingers. It'll kind of pull itself. Just keep your hand, let it glide through your fingers, and then you're straight. So you turn, and then, it, okay, yeah, it straightens up. Instead of going like this, you're just going to throw us all off and, and really stress out Mom. <laughs> so, And so uh, then after a while, Mom says, Mike, I'm not driving with him. You teach him, you know. <laughs> so I teach the kids different turns, you know, the, the three-point turn, the U-turn, the... Um, you know how to. Sometimes you do need to teach them how to turn abruptly. That's necessary. And just as an example, I think I've shared this before, but I, because it's such a, it's a, it's a nice memory for me. But when I was younger, I, I had the privilege of taking a driving course on for. um It was me and maybe three others took a driving course together, but it was unique. It wasn't just for everybody. My dad worked at the General Motors Desert Proving Grounds. It used to be in East Mesa, and they had a huge, huge, huge testing automotive testing facility. Many of you know about that. But it was a, a, a large testing facility there. They had a large uh, six-mile oval track, and even the banks of it were like a NASCAR, you know, uh, type of a corner like that. And they had a two-mile straightaway. Uh, testing uh, road, and they had this large skid pad. They actually had several skid pads. They had this large, really large one, and they had another wet skid pad where they can put water on it, and they're testing the vehicle on water, on the hot asphalt. They're testing, uh, they put dashes out of these glass containers to test how well a dash is going to last in the sun, and all kinds of testing. Dad worked out there. My grandpa worked out there. My my dad's father-in-law uh, for Pontiac Division, and my dad did the painting, and, and, um, but, but, but and nobody, it wasn't really open to the public. And maybe once a year they do an open house because they had concept vehicles there that they're kind of testing and disguising, and they don't want the general public to see it. So uh, they gave opportunity to some of the, the employees say, hey, you, want, um, you can have a few of your kids come in here, your kids, and we'll, de- we'll te- take them on a little driving course. Because they had test drivers out there, and they were good. I think some of them may have even trained some police officers. Is that right, Dad? And some of them would train some of the police officers on driving techniques. And so uh, I remember I was invited out this one morning, you know, I don't know, maybe a Saturday. Yeah, I get to go do the driving test. And so Dad takes me out there, Ellsworth and Warner area. And I get in there, and, and uh, I get to the facility. They check me out. Then I get in a car, and they take me way out to, like, a, a, a wide skid pad um, uh, just I just, I don't know what it was, if it was all concrete, I can't remember what it was, but this huge pad. Um, and uh, I don't know if the guy, was, was it Bob Sparks, the guy? Okay. He was my, he was my uh, uh, teacher. And so I go out there, uh, there's a car that drops us off, and they say, go out there. There was like me and two or three other, there was a girl and a couple of the guys, out to that car out there. So they dropped us off. We walked right out into the middle of the skid pad. We get, said, get in that car right there. So we go out there, we get in this car, and, uh, and it was Bob that was in the car. In fact, I'll just go this way. He was in the car. We come walking out. We get in there. We get in. So one was in the front, like two of us, at least two of us in the back. And I was in the back, and, and he's like, good morning. I'm like, hey. And he had the car on, and then he put it in reverse and stepped on it. <laughs> And then I was like, whoa, and he's like, Shh. and he went, as far as I can tell, as fast as you could in reverse. Like, oh my God!" And then he goes, whoa, and he does the whip with it, and he skids around, I don't even remember if we skid around, skidded around twice, I don't remember, but I just remember we skid around and I'm facing the opposite way, then he looks back at us and he's like, are you awake? <laughs> and I was like, I am now, you know, I'm awake. And so, you know, he, that was quite a turn there, <laughs> to wake me up. But one of the things they did for us, and they did us, they, we did all types of different maneuvers, but he, one of the things he taught us was um, proper turns on how to avoid a collision. And so, you know, they would set up cones in a certain maneuvering, and we were in a domestic car. There was no, we weren't, in, we weren't in like a Firebird or a Corvette. We were just like in some kind of, you know, Pontiac, Catalina, something that's probably not produced anymore. I don't know. You know, it was just a regular domestic car because they wanted to show you, you can do certain things to help avoid a collision, even the regular car. So they set up this thing where you're driving, and they said, now see these cones, you're going down this lane, and when you see those cones, when I tell you to, you turn and avoid these row of cones that are in your way and jump over in here into this other clearing. So we're driving down. uh, Actually, it was painted lines, and there was a set of cones that was supposed to replicate somebody's in the way or a car or whatever. And uh, he says, You just keep driving right at him. And when I tell you to, you're going to switch lanes. Well, first, he showed us how to do it. He, draw, he was driving like this, and he goes, whoop, whoop. So he goes like this really fast. And I, th- I thought we were going to flip, you know, like in the movies, you know. <laughs> but he went like, and switched lanes real quick and got in the other lane and voided these set of cones. He just went right at the last minute. And I thought, Wow, we didn't even roll or anything. So he's, he's like, You could do that. Let me show you how. And so he taught us that. He told us, keep driving, keep driving. When he, and when I was told to, you, like that. And you and you get over real quick and, and avoid the collision. But it's not just that you avoid it and go like this. It's that you go like this and then stay back in the lane. So you're, so you're still maintaining control, but you just avoided a collision. And so he taught us little techniques like that. And I don't think I've had to use it maybe once or twice, thankfully. But, uh, um, but that was good. And then he, tell, he taught us how to hop up a curb and then hop down. You don't just go like this, I'm going to go up a curb. No, you're just going to keep rubbing the tire. You, you pop up a curb, and then you pop down a curb when you're driving. And he taught us how to do that, because sometimes you might need to avoid a collision. And so he taught us certain things like that in certain turns, things like that. And, and so here is a, in the Bible here, we're going to talk about the idea of a turn Is a prophet. The prophet here is Malachi, but he's talking about another prophet. Look what it says here, and I'm going to tell you how this relates to turns. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet for the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so he's saying, hey, I'm going to send you Elijah. Now, there like people that are listening, it's like, Elijah? Elijah's dead. Well, actually, he ascended up to heaven. He went in the chariot of fire up into heaven. So God says, I'm going to send him back before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he's going to turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers before I come back, unless I come and smite the earth with a curse. So he's telling people he's going to send back Elijah, the prophet. Again, at some point, Elijah's going to come back and preach. So there's this kind of this mysterious thing on how that's going to work. It might happen that there's, a, there's these two outstanding prophets, and it's called in uh, the tribulation time in Revelation 11, and one of them might be Elijah, We don't know for sure, and and I don't even want to debate that right now, but one person we do know this is referring to, it's referring to a person who has the spirit and power of Elijah, and it's John the Baptist. Jesus said there was a prophet like what this is talking about that came, Jesus said. Jesus said, before I came, John the Baptist was this prophet that turned people, and he had the spirit and power of Elijah. In fact, there's none up to john jesus said about his second cousin john the baptist he says there's among them that are born of women there's not been a greater than john the baptist so jesus already settled who's the greatest prophet of all time outside of himself was john the baptist and so what this is saying is john the baptist is going to come and prepare people to believe on jesus and that's what happened right this guy, John the Baptist, comes. John the Baptist comes on the scene, what is it, a year or so before Jesus, I can't remember how long, but he comes on the scene, and he's wearing camel's hair, and he has a leather belt, and he eats grasshoppers dipped in honey. I mean, that's what he does. He doesn't drink wine and stuff like that. He's got a unique diet prescribed in the Old Testament for certain people to take a vow. And he's preaching, and it got people's attention, like, whoa. Who's this backwoods guy? He was a backwoods guy, I guess. He came, he lived and grew up kind of in the wilderness. Came out, but he didn't care what you think thought of him at all. It was obvious. I mean, he because he, he even pre, he even spoke directly to the politicians, telling them to repent. And he commanded them, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." What do you mean, repent? Well, if you're a liar, repent of that and get and, and, and be ready to receive Messiah. If you're an adulterer, repent of that and be ready to receive this Messiah that's coming. And if you're a crook, and he preached against people's specific sins unapologetically, fearlessly, this guy was. I like John the Baptist. Now, he's a Baptist and not in the New Testament sense like we say it, like churchy. He was not church. He's not. He's Old Testament Baptist. It just meant he was a baptizer. That means if you mean business with God, you say you repent. You say that you, you're turning to the Lord. You say you're going to follow him now, and you're ready for this Messiah that I'm telling you about to come. If you mean business with God, then come on down here. Come down into these waters, and let's baptize. A baptism is a signal of death and life again. I'm dying to that old self that I was used to be, and now I'm new again. If you mean business with God, then get down here. Well, that's humbling. But if somebody really repented, they've already been humbled a little bit. And so they would come down and many of the children of Israel came down to to be baptized of John, all sorts of people, and he baptized them. And and one day Jesus came on the scene. He says, all right, folks, there he is, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Start following him. But John, what is John doing? It says that he did these things that you see here. He was turning people to the Lord. Uh, What what does a true prophet do? What does a good prophet do? See, we're like, well, I don't know. We're Americans. We just know preachers, you know. Preachers are pass along the words of a prophet. But true Old Testament, and even right up to the time of Jesus, true prophets. What they did was they they didn't they didn't say you know, I just want to affirm where you're at. They didn't. I mean, sometimes you wish they would. And they maybe did a little bit in some of their some of their writings, but usually, they're like turning you, correcting you, that's what they were doing. Uh, the true prophet didn't tickle the ears of the people; he turned the heart of the people. That's what he did. I mean, some of these prophets were, um, were, had to, had they were like they were like uh, it was almost like a BB gun trying to shoot at a, um, you know, a. a a ship, a naval ship. I mean, they were their whole country was standing against them, but they were saying, this is God's word, this is God's word. And sometimes the people, were, the whole country would be against them, but they were told to speak that word and get people to turn. What does a good prophet do? Uh, he doesn't try to look cool. He doesn't try to have the coolest, shiniest chariot. He didn't try to do that. He was trying to turn people's hearts. You know what he did? He was trying to help this guy that I had, Bob Sparks, make proper turns. Let me ask every, everybody, all of us, whenever we drive, you always have to turn at some point, right? Even you say, no, I'm getting on a road, and I'm just staying on this road. <laughs> yeah, but you still have to go like this a little bit. And like, oh, I'm drifting. you got keep to keep your, keep your um, alignment right. Stay directed. That's what the prophets are doing. Turning people. Not tickling them. Not just say, I'm going to give you smooth words. I mean, there's a place for, there is a place, I don't want to be misunderstood. There's a place for encouraging and affirming. That's in the New Testament. Barnabas did that. Paul did that. But Barnabas and Paul also did corrective things. What kind of turns are we shown to make? That's the question. What kind of turns was John making? What kind of turns then consequently are we to make in life? You may or may not know how to do a three-point turn or care to, but here's three turns that we need to learn to make in life according to this prophet's ministry that Jesus highly commended. The first thing John did was he turned people to the Lord. Luke 1.16, which we read, says that he shall turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord. Go this way. Go this way. Here's Jesus. Turn to him. And many people that did believe on Jesus believed on him because of the work of John, getting them to go in that direction. Turn to the Lord to be saved. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now in this case... When John came, he turned people to the Lord, and Jesus came. There was no massive national, well, there was a national judgment on them in AD 70 but there was no worldwide judgment that ended the world then. But that is coming. And so in t- between now and the time that, the, that Jesus Christ begins to send judgments on the earth, the dreadful day of the Lord, which you could read about in Revelation, people are called to turn to the God. Turn to the God who's now giving you breath. Don't turn away from him, the very one who's given you breath to, to breathe. Turn to be saved. Turn to the Lord for what? To fix my stubbed toe? Lord, um, to, to give me a better, more money and a better job? I mean, those are, those, are, those are things that you can turn to God about, but the primary thing we are to turn to the Lord for is, the, is our bigger problem. It's we don't turn to the Lord to help us have our best life now, but to have a life next at all. You turn to the Lord to say, do I even have a a next life? You you can when you turn to him and say, Lord, I believe your son. I believe Jesus Christ came to this earth to be the mediator between God and man. I believe that he died for my sins and I embrace him as my savior. Well, then your your biggest problem settled. You have eternal life and you're right with God. And anything between now and death is, is really small stuff. It's not about our best life now. It's about, do you have a life? Because if this is my best, my uncle was saying to me last night, he's like, if this is my best life now, I'm in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You know, and he's got a decent life. But he's saying, this isn't all, it's not about this temporal stuff. It's we've got to see beyond the now. And that's what, so the prophets were saying, uh, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm telling you, uh, the the new testament prophet, okay? turn to jesus to be saved let's let's give an example a, a john 3:14 and and 15 i'll read it you can follow me there john 3:14 and 15 um, jesus said this about himself and he gave an he gave an illustration of himself okay so here we're going to read the verse and then i'll tell you the illustration the the picture that jesus said that he is like okay john 3:14 and 15 It's going to sound weird as you read it, but I'll explain it. Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. You're like, that sounds kind of weird, lifting up a serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here's what, the people that heard him knew exactly what he's talking about. And if you go back, and won't do it now, but in read Numbers 20, the story goes like this. Children of Israel are traveling. They're in the wilderness. They're migrating. And they got sassy with God and unthankful. Started complaining about this and that, even though there's miracles that God's providing for them, water and, and the manna. And they started complaining and complaining, and then God sent serpents into the camp to sting them. The consequence of a sin is death. Every wrong action demands a punishment. Even like if even if you break the law, there's a penalty. Okay? Even on small things. Well, they are complaining. Rah, 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 wrongly against God. God sent serpents and they're bit. Some people were dying. They were dying and they were they were, in this case, suffering because of their own verbal rebellion against God. So God tells Moses, Well, we can help them if they'll humble themselves. And he told Moses, Now make a brazen, basically a pole, and a brass serpent on the top of it. That's where you see the image on the side of the ambulances. It came from the Bible. That you're like, Why? I used to think, Why is there a snake on there? I want to get away from snakes. An ambulance has got it on the side. It came from the Bible. So there's this serpent on the pole. And Moses said, You make this. And all those people in the camp, there's pe- some people bit, some people not, some people dead, some people about dying. If you hold it up like this, don't say it, just hold it up and tell them, well, he, they were told, I should say, tell them, whoever looks, turns to this, this is God's solution that I have provided for you this moment, for this moment. If you turn to this, you'll be healed. And so these people were dying and, and people are sick and people were hurting and about to die and so Moses just go, and told them, if you turn and look to the Lord's solution here, look, that's all you got to do. You'll be healed. And so there could be literally people that are just on their last leg, so to speak, and, and they're, they're dying of this poison or whatever it is that, that causes you to die when you're bit by such a serpent. Maybe they're already having uh, you know, some tremors and some seizures. I don't know. But if all they would do, because it was lifted up high, and it's used pretty much flat area, lifted up, all they had to do is go like this. They knew. i just have to look. All they'd have to do is go like that. And if they looked, they were healed instantly. And like the snake bite's gone, I'm healed, I'm fine. It doesn't mean they'll never die. It's this moment, this illustration, this point of rebellion. God says, look at that. And they're, wow, I'm healed now. I don't feel these uh, uh, seizures and I don't feel the pain and I don't feel the chills and the heat and all these other weird things that I was getting and like my heart palpitations. Oh, I'm fine now. All I had to do was look. The act of looking was an act of humility. It was an act of faith. All right. That's it. Now, conceivably, there are some people, that, they knew, they knew that they were, Moses was lifting up that thing over there, and they knew that God said, if you just look at it, but they thought, I don't like that Moses guy anyways, he's probably a hypocrite, you know, and I don't know about this stuff being out here, and they and maybe those are family, just turn and look, just look over there, all you have to do is look, you don't even have to do anything, you don't have to say you're a good person, you don't have to try to be a good person, you don't even have to, uh, uh, you don't have to do anything except just look, grandpa, just look, uncle, just look, mom, whatever, just look, and, and Perhaps there were some people, I'm not going to do it. And they died for, sim- for not doing one simple thing, a look of faith. Charles Spurgeon, I think, is probably the greatest preacher in the last 500 years that I've read, in my opinion, and as many others. And he was just a boy, and some deacon was filling in for a pastor on a, in a Methodist church, and he and he walked into this church and visited as like a 10, 12, 13-year-old And this deacon just fumbled his way through this passage. And basically the passage was, look unto me and be saved. And this Spurgeon just said, that's all I got to do. It's just a look of faith. I see Jesus by faith. I know what he did, and I'm just looking, I'm trusting. And that scripture of looking to the Lord helped him be saved. So John's trying to get people to turn to the Lord. Well, Jesus says, I was, just as Moses was lifted up, People just look on him. So also must the Son of Man be lifted up. It's a despicable thing. Just like that serpent. Oh, it's despicable. Yeah, but it was a reminder of your sin. It's a reminder of your punishment. That's why when they looked at it, it was still humbling. Yeah, I, I was complaining and God bit me there. So Jesus, this despicable thing of the cross. It's not some nice polished thing that we, we make an idol of. No, it's a despicable thing that he was propped up naked on a cross with these signs over him, mocking him. And Jesus said that whosoever looketh, that whosoever believeth, as he's equating the look spiritually to believing on him, will not perish but have eternal life. And so, you know, our job is simple as simple as Christians is like, we're not trying to get you to um, be a Baptist or be a some other kind of ist or ism. We're trying to get you to go, hmm, see that Jesus? Yeah, he didn't deserve to be there. See how he's just between heaven and earth? Yeah, he's there for a reason because there's a perfect God and sinful man mediating it. If You'll just trust in him. He's your way to heaven. John the Baptist wanted to turn people to the Lord. That's what we need to do, is turn to the Lord for salvation. And then a quick little, th- another thing I want to say before we go to the next point is we want to turn to the Lord to be set straight, to be set straight. There's a couple of verses. If you don't, can't find it there, I'm going to read it to you. Hosea 6. Another one of those smaller prophets, but I'll read it. Hosea 6, and it says in Hosea 6, it talks about looking to the Lord, turning to the Lord. Hosea 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord, for He hath torn, and He will heal us. He hath smitten, and He will bind us up. Hosea 6, verse 1. And then Hosea 12, verse 6, it says. I'm going to read this to you. Hosea 12, 6. It says... there. Um, Therefore, turn thou unto thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. Turn to the Lord. Look in Isaiah 55. Now you go to the left. Isaiah 55, you have Daniel, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, then Isaiah. It's a large prophet, one of the larger ones by way of contents. Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7. Here's the sound of God's other prophets telling us. You know, you might know how to avoid a collision when you're driving today, but you want to avoid a collision with a God who's going to judge our sin. And the way we avoid that is go to Jesus, turn to the Lord. Look what it says here. He says here, Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God... For he will abundantly pardon. I'm glad. See, that's good news. The kind of God that God is is that I can turn to him and receive pardon from sin and receive forgiveness and be spiritually accepted with him. Now, it doesn't mean my body won't be racked with pain and I won't have trials and tribulations like everybody else. It's common to man. It just means between now and the time I die, I'm saved, and after I'm die, I'm saved with him and I'm safe with him. Turn to the Lord, but we turn to the Lord to be set straight. That means, God, I, I, I am a Christian and I belong to you, but I'm off course. What do I do? What do you do when you're off course? Maybe when you're driving, you go, where am I again? I go, up my Google Maps. There's my Google. And then I hit that little arrow. Where am I? Oh, I'm right here. Okay. And you try to reorientate yourself, right? We turn to our phone. And so when I'm not straight, I need to turn to the Lord in prayer, I need to turn to the Lord and read the Bible, read some scriptures. God, give me some direction from where I'm at. Turn to the Lord to be set straight. You know, um, the best thing that helps me deal with my wife, the best thing that helps me deal with my kids is first deal with God. I'm not a good vehicle to deal with until I go to the alignment shop of God. I'm, I'm I'm bumpy and I drift and all kinds of stuff, but my wife, the best thing I can do for my wife is have a definite relationship with God. And I do, not because I'm a pastor. I, I, I did before I became a pastor, but that's the best thing I can do for her and for my kids, and so to, have, to help me straight. Some turn to fables. <laughs> they don't turn to the Lord. This is very popular right now. There's a scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and here's what it says. It's talking to the pastor. It says, preach the word. Be, preach the Bible. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And here's why. He just basically says, just keep doing it and do it this way. Be be balanced, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Teach them, be patient, teaching them. But he says, and the time will come where well, they will not endure, hearers, certain hearers, perhaps a society, certain cultures. There was a come a time where you do all that, they will not endure sound doctrine. Like, ah hear that stuff but they will there will be something that they will go to they'll but they but they shall uh heap upon themselves teachers having itching ears after their own lusts having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned to fables say i do want to hear something i don't want to hear this doctrine stuff but i do want to hear something so they have to turn their ears away from the truth and be turned unto fables now, fables means just made-up stories. Yeah. And we entertain ourselves with made-up stories. And maybe it's okay to do that in a certain extent, like, oh, here's is a funny, entertaining story. But some people turn to fables as if they build their whole life around it, and they decorate their life around it, and it's infested in their mind, and they think there really is a Jedi, and they think there really is the Force, and they think, and it's like you're just turned to fables, right. you know. And so, uh, and. And, and I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't care if you, if you kind of like some of that entertainment or whatever, but I'm saying some people, they, they would rather listen to, they would take 60 hours or however long it takes to watch all the Star Wars films and not take one to look into the Bible. Which one's truth? Which one's going to matter? That might be entertaining for the, for the imbalance, for the time or whatever. But this is the thing that's true. And I don't want to turn my ears from truth unto fables and just saturate my mind with that one. I want to saturate my mind and heart with the truth. And so that's what a good prophet does. He teaches people to turn to the Lord, to be saved, to be set straight. All right, a couple more things. And this this I hope will be help us. Two more things. Turn to our children. Now that's right there. That's right there. Uh, Malachi... John the Baptist somehow did this. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. Whoa. And the heart of the children to the fathers. Now, well, this is what he did. This is what John the Baptist somehow, some way did. And perhaps there is another prophet that's going to continue to do that. And it's like God's saying it's an honorable thing for maybe these prophets that seem to be, whoa. Maybe uh, out there and unusual. It's an honorable thing that they would actually make it a family thing. I'm like, hey, dads, here's what this means. Do you know where your kid's at? Do you know what your kid's up to? Isn't it interesting? God really leverages the dads. You find scriptures on teaching children. God, he, he, it's almost like he didn't have to say much to the moms. It's already kind of an inclination. Fathers bring them up in the nurture admonition. You, Dad, shall teach them. And when you walk by the way, sit in the, sit in the house and rise up. You do it, Dad. And then here he says, John the Baptist is going to take the dad and say, "Dads, your heart is fixed on your hobby. Your heart is fixed on your job. Your heart is fixed on your game. But I'm trying to turn your heart to your kid. I want to turn it. Just like it might just be a little bit. Mm, how's your kid doing? You know what? It's hard being a parent hard man dad you got to be big hearted because there's so many things out in the world to, to man, man want you care about this on your truck care about this to watch care about this team care about getting that thing for your wife care about that guy who's got more stuff than you man and you're like yeah and you start and you're like wait wait i got to i got to i got to preserve my heart for my wife and my kids the lord and i got to have my heart turned to my kids and If I don't have all that stuff, all right, but I want want my kids to have. That means they're my attention as much as I can. That means my, um, some words. That means I'm their first coach. I'm their first teacher. Well, I'm not really a teacher. I'm not really a coach. doesn't matter. You're called to be. I'm called to be that. I have to be Jimmy's coach, life coach. And John, and older ones and the younger ones, above and below them. Turn John the Baptist somehow did that. Called out the men out on the hills of the banks of the Jordan while he was preaching. I don't know. But he was getting daddies to care about their kids, their sons and daughters. You know, it's focused on the family. How many of you have heard of Focus on the Family? Raise your hand. They have a radio program. They could produce some material. And their, their slogan is, Turn Your Heart Toward Home. Good slogan all they're trying to do it's like awaken your thought to home in this case the kids what do i do i I turn my heart to my kids for what so that i could so that i could tell my kid i want to delight in him i turn my heart to my children so that um, they can delight in the path of life with me turn my heart to my kid so that uh, i can discipline them right It's hard to discipline somebody who they don't know that your heart has their best interests in mind. When they see my heart's turned to them, a little easier. A little easier. It's not perfect. Turn my heart to my kids so that I can connect with them and give them some direction. Turn the heart of the fathers to the children. I can connect, heart connection, so I can be the one to say, here's what you should do here. Or at least that I have a close enough relationship so they, they want to ask me. I'm starting to get to where it, it's sometimes hard. My wife and I, we, you know, we, we like time together, but you know, and some, our kids will come in and ask us questions, and sometimes I'm like, i got to steward this, though. <laughs> They're asking. This is not bad. I'm going to steward it, because there's, there's been times where they weren't asking, and I wish they would. And you know some of my other kids who I wish would come to me, and they didn't, but maybe later or when it was too late. And so, so I want them to know my heart's torn toward, toward them. I, you know, I, I'm definitely not a Google thing that can answer every question. I mean, Noah is crazy. He's asking me, Dad, how? And he, he, he's really thinking through, like, these sports scenarios. It's okay, Noah. you you're, you, got, you got a good mind there, bud. Yeah. But he, he, maybe it's a compliment. He thinks, I know so much. You know, <laughs> Dad, he'll say something like, uh you know, do you think that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was also as much of a dunker as Wilt Chamberlain? Or I mean, he's asking some, like, a detailed question to make a distinction in unique sports history. And I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> ask Jimmy. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, but he'll ask me those things, and I want my kids to be there. Asking. But, but I want them to know that I, that I care. And so that when it comes later and he's a teenager and he asks me something more serious, that he's, well, first of all, he was not afraid to. Look at Isaiah 58. I've always wondered what this verse meant here. It was talking about fasting, And God said the kind of fasting He wants is more of a kind of a quality Christian life. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. And let's listen to these words. Isaiah 58, verse 6 and 7. Is it not this the the fast that I've chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not... This is the type of fast I want: to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him. And look at this last phrase: that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. That phrase, thine own flesh, is I used to. What are they talking about? Hiding? Huh? talking about your own flesh and blood, your kids. Yeah. You ever? How, all right. Okay. How many of us parents see your kids want to hide from the parents? Oh, mom and dad's coming. There's a few times I'm all right, I'm going to hide. My kids are coming. Let's hide, you know. And, but, but God says when He's talking about being there, for, don't hide from them. Don't hide from them. He wants our heart turned there. All right, then the third point, turn to our fathers. So He wants to get the heart of the fathers turned to the children. That's what the prophet John wanted to do. That's what If I'm going to be a good pastor, that's what I want to do. I want to get us to care about our kids, dads. And some of you dad, granddads, to the extent you can care and connect with them. I'm glad for my mother's dad, my granddad, who cared about me enough to, to invest in me when he could. And my dad's dad, he died at age 69, but the moments he could invest in me, I appreciate it. He didn't blow me off. I appreciated that. I needed that. You know, there's little moments I had with each of them, and I thought, that was good. I'm glad their heart was turned toward me. I needed that. And even my dad, I could tell things about that. But, all right, so then, all right, so a good prophet says, all right, turn to the Lord. And a good and true prophet will say, dads, turn your heart to your kids. Care about them. You know what they're doing? And how you can? And then a good prophet goes to the kids, last of all, and turns the children, the heart of the children, to the fathers. The heart of the children to the fathers. Look what it says there, Malachi he shall turn the heart of the children to their fathers kids to think of, it doesn't mean like you better just do everything and be everything like your dad wear polyester pants like he did in the 60s and have that weird haircut that looks like he has grease in it or you know no it's not talking about that it's saying care about dad what's dad got to say turn your heart to your dad heart of the children to the fathers that means just connect listen with them my uncle phil my mom's brother uh, we did some interviews with my grandpa my mother's dad before he died like the last couple years before he died we'd like sit down and take him to cracker barrel and and i interviewed grandpa and got some things recording of that and and I got it. And, uh, and, and then Uncle Phil did the same thing. My, my mother's brother, he, he sat down with his dad and, and they, he had even longer ones because he knew a whole bunch of things to ask grandpa. And grandpa, grandpa had a hard time speaking as he got older, but he still remembered quite a bit. And he shared memories and how he got saved in New York and they came out here. And, and then I think grandma got saved before they came out here also. And, and just different things. And he wanted to know grandpa. He wanted to connect with him and he wanted to, and so do I, you know. And not that my grandpa's a saint. He's not. He's a sinner like us. And but, but we wanted to know even more because he was a believer, things about him and, and learn about him and the choices he made and, and things like that. And my Uncle Phil even said, you know, he's like 65, I think. I don't know what Uncle Phil is. He's like, And he said this like a few years ago. He's in his 60s. I just want to be a godly old, you know, he says, I just want to be a godly old man when I grow up. (laughs) It means he's trying to grow up. Like my grandpa, he says, I just want to be a godly old man like my dad when I grow up, you know. And so he's just, he's got some goals. He's striving still at age 65, you know. But... uh, he turned his heart toward his dad. All right, a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, eight. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Hear it. Uh, it says, uh, Proverbs 23.22, Hearken unto thy father that begat thee and despise not thy mother when she's old. Ah, oh, mom, just old. Just listen, just listen. Hearken unto thy father that begat thee. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways, it says in Proverbs 23-26. So here you have John the Baptist. John the Baptist did not come as a prophet and say, "Um, you got the fathers and you got the kids, and I just want you to know, you kids, I want you to know something that this generation, that's where it's at. You guys don't know what you're talking about. Nor did he go to the kids and say, hey kids, you know what, your parents are just out of it. They don't know what they're doing. John did not come to have a generational war. Now watch this. We have those voices coming in our minds right now as Christians. you got young people that, yeah, your parents, and you read Seventeen Magazine, or I don't even know if they do that anymore, it's some kind of blog or whatever, and they kind of like this animosity toward the parents. They don't know, and they don't this, and they're out of touch and all this. And then you have on the vice, we got a bunch of grumpy old people like us saying, them kids nowadays, they just don't understand it. And we start griping and complaining about the kids nowadays, and, and we go tell them, listen, You guys are having a hard time going to school when I was a kid. I walked to school barefoot, both ways in the snow, bleeding, doing my homework and blind. And I didn't eat anything but crackers at lunchtime. So don't complain. You're lying. We we have this thing where we create this disparity. And and John's basically saying, look, we don't need that. The younger generation, they need the dad. They need to turn their heart to, what does he have to say? It hey, doesn't mean you have to do every little thing like them, but you need to have your heart turned. And the older generation, have your heart turned toward them. Turn toward what's what's the kid? What are you up to? What, do you, what kind of words you say? That's weird. What? Can I define out there? Is that profane? I'm gonna find out. You know. I, that's what I'm saying. Take an interest, and in the same thing with. The, the the younger to the older, so that John was not trying to get this generational warfare thing. We should not try that. We do not need that. Here's what you can do. An older generation. Here's what we can do. We have three choices. To the young, we can ignore them. We can indict them, or we can influence them. I want to influence them. And the young generation, I can ignore the older ones. I can indict them. Oh, yeah, 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 you're just dumb. You don't know what you're talking about, or I can take an interest in them and learn something. And that's what a prophet. That's what the prophet John did. There's no. Sometimes a younger generation may be better than an older. An older mate. It doesn't. But it doesn't matter. In this case, he's trying to have hearts turned toward the proper relationships. The most important relationship is God, and then some family, like dad to a child and a child to a parent. And that's what John's trying to do. Think, and we're wrapping this up. I appreciate your patience. Think about this. I, I'm re- I think about some of the stuff we're talking about. That if think about this, what does he say? Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Do we feel cursed as a country? Man, how come we get these weird shootings? You know, and we have all these other things that happen and. And we feel like there's like a curse coming on our country. And it's like, well, maybe if we went back to instead of figuring out that it's a government solution, it's a family solution. It's a God solution. It's like sometimes I I, I, I you know these the shooting in Texas is so heartbreaking with these kids and all that that happened. Even one of the first responders, I think, came on and it was one of his own child that had died. And I and I keep loathing, here we go, I gotta have and I don't care if it's Republican, Democrat, we have a solution. I would like one politician to get up there and say, we have no solution. We can't do anything. Go, go ahead and give more money. It's not going to help. It's a heart issue, and it's God. Go ask your pastor to help you. Go ask your dad, your grandma that's reading the Bible to help you. Some of these things that are cursed, have not, you can't fix it with politics. It needs like, we need a prophet. We need some prophets to preach this stuff. And some of you, to say that to coworkers. Say, don't tell me about your politics. Do you know the Lord? This is what's going to help us. It's going to save our soul. It's going to help us for this life as well. And so save a lot of heartache, fix a lot of social problems. I remember, we'll close. I remember driving. I was in, I was in um, Tucson for, I think it was a pastor's conference overnight. And uh, after the meeting, I, was rent, I had a rental car. And uh, I came out of the meeting, got in the car, it was dark out, and I was driving. I got on the phone with Deb, had at earpiece, driving. And I'm driving around and in Tucson and talking to Deb. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, Johnny's throwing a fit again. Yeah, just, just kidding. She didn't say that, John. I just, I'm making sure you're p- paying attention. All right. Um, uh, so anyways, Deb's telling me how, how things are going. and And I'm driving, and I'm driving, and talking, and talking, and going like this, and and then next thing I know, I'm like, I said, man, it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem like I'm uh, getting to my hotel here. And the next thing I know, oh, there's a barricades and right there and it's the end of the road and there's a mountain right in front of me. <laughs> I'm like, my goodness, <laughs> you know. And I literally thought when I pulled out of the driveway that I took the right turn. And I didn't. I just took one little turn this way and next thing I know, I'm facing a mountain. and probably just needed to go a little bit that way and I would have been at the hotel. And it, that's, I say all that to get you to think, where am I turning in my decisions? What, let me ask you this. What turns are you making? Because they're highly consequential. What kind of turns are you making in your life? Are they right? Are they safe? Are they, you think they're going to result in good? I mean, good in the sense to the glory of God. You at least know three good turns that we should make and keep acting on right here in the scripture.